things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, listen, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground, where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said to them, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Let us pray. Again, our Heavenly Father, we are grateful for Lord's Day. From everything from just our being able to be together as fellow pilgrims, and then the liturgy of worship that you have organized in Holy Scripture that we then receive and follow after. Every element nourishing, leading and guiding, confronting, empowering, nourishing, that we may then respond in confession and repentance, endeavor after lives of new obedience. Father, we're thankful as your people. Now we ask as we hear from your word that we would have ears to hear. And so by your Holy Spirit, through the preaching of your word, let us hear. In Christ Jesus' name we pray, amen. Mark continues now as he has started, and it didn't take Mark long. By a few verses, he was already into the ministry of Jesus Christ. And he generally, from that point over, follows from John the Baptist's announcement of Jesus Christ's public ministry. He follows the path along to the cross. But while he generally is heading in that direction, Mark, at the same time, is not giving us a hard chronological account. Instead, you've probably noticed by now what he is doing is he groups like events together to teach something specific to us. And so he began by grouping together some of the miracles, the healings, the casting out of demons. And so through that, you begin to see Jesus' authority and power in the kingdom. After that, he starts to move together a lot of stories about Jesus and his confrontation with the religious leaders. And there is conflict that arises and escalates each of those meetings. Followed right on top of that where we've been, we start to see the responses of the people when they are confronted by Jesus. And those fall into two categories. On the one side, you have those who, seeing Jesus, <clears throat> are interested, they're curious, that they demand something of him, that we see in the crowds. They, they, they just want something about Jesus, but they do not, in faith, want to follow Jesus. On that same side, you have the religious leaders who are threatened by Jesus. They feel that he is threatening their structure of power, what they have set before them. 
Also, you have even his own family that looks at Jesus and does not understand. And then on the opposite side, you have the disciples. Those who are called by our Lord as he takes the initiative and hearing that call, they follow after him and they obey him and they become uh, messengers for him and adopting his mission. And so we saw last week, there is no neutrality. There is no middle ground when it comes to Jesus Christ. He can't just be a, a nice guy who we kind of like, but we don't see him as Lord. There is no neutrality. And we saw, we looked at that quote from C.S. Lewis and saw, indeed, it's true from the text. As you're confronted with Christ, either he is a liar, he's a madman, he is a demon, Satan himself, or he is Lord. The message of Jesus does not allow for anything else. And so we continue kind of in that theme then of drawing that line of no neutrality, drawing the line between those who will be disciples of Christ and those who won't. And our Lord continues to make that division through the parables. And we'll see that in these parables, in this division that is made, the line is not drawn around your background, around your religiosity, around your name, around race or position or anything. The line is drawn really by those who, instead of coming in self-righteousness, recognize they are sinners and that Christ has come to save sinners. And hearing the call of Christ, they follow. So as we reach this portion, we've seen now with Mark, that Mark doesn't spend, especially compared to Matthew or Luke, much time on the teaching of Jesus. He's more of a, you know, event type of guy, and he moves quickly through it. But there are two places where he stops a little bit to look at the teaching of Jesus. He'll do that here in the parables of chapter 4. One we'll look at this morning. We'll do it again in chapter 13 with the discourse. Jesus teaches and he preaches in different styles. You see that in Matthew and Luke. He comes to the Sermon on the Mount. He kind of has a well-divided, ordered presentation that he gives. You see in the discourse. But one thing that remains consistent, when Jesus is speaking to those who are outside of the kingdom or to a mixed multitude, he speaks in parables. He teaches and preaches in parables. And parables are really stories for us that reflect the kingdom of God reflect principles of the kingdom of God. And in reflecting the kingdom of God, then it shines a mirror, as it were, on ourselves that we would see, how then do I stand? How am I living in comparison to what the kingdom of God is calling for? What is my position in the kingdom of God? And it turns that mirror through the parable to you. If you think of maybe a parable of the Old Testament, if you remember the story of Nathan, as he goes to David after David is has committed adultery with Bathsheba and, and the prophet comes before David and is speaking and he tells this story about a, a wealthy man who takes the very last possession of a poor person simply so that a wealthy man can celebrate and not use up his own things. And David is hearing this story and getting angrier and angrier and really enraged at the end. Nathan's, well, what should we do about this? And David's rage, the rich man needs punished. He needs put to death. And you remember Nathan turns and the finger at David. You are that man. 
revealing to David his own heart and his sin. And parables do that, but give us this story and in the end kind of point the mirror at you and here's what it reveals about the kingdom and here is what it reveals about you in relation to the kingdom. The parable we'll look at today is probably one that many of you are familiar with. What we have here is the part you heard read for you from Pastor Adam and the, the original telling of the parable. And then you get to this explanation where Jesus speaks about parables. And we have a bit of a hard saying that he speaks there. Then sandwiched on the backside is he gives some more commentary. It really changes the thrust a little bit as he gives more commentary at the end of this text. So the first layer we'll look at here quickly. Right off the very bat in verse 3, Jesus says, listen. Maybe you have an exclamation point. It's a strong word. You need to pay attention to what is about to be said. I've maybe mentioned the story before, but Pastor Adam and I, and we went to this small church during college, and a guy would speak, and he would, he would speak a long time. Maybe you think we speak a long time, but, and, uh, you know, unlike you, not everyone at that church listened real well. And so uh, people kind of drifting off. And he'd step right up to the mic and he'd go, listen, listen, clap. So that's what I think of when I read this, is that guy screaming into the mic and clapping, listen. I'll wake all the babies up, sorry about that. Uh, but Jesus is doing that. You need to listen here. Something important is about to be said. And so then he walks through this parable and you have kind of the breakdown of the sower, which is Jesus. And Jesus, as he goes, he is scattering this seed. He is throwing it out. The seed is, is the word. It is the declaration, the message of the kingdom of God. And then it lands on all different kinds of soils. That would be the hearers. It seems like a bit of a funny picture of farming, perhaps, if you think of modern-day farming, of nice plowed rows and the, the seed planted nicely. Here it's just kind of scattered about. But in that time, in an arid, rocky uh, terrain in which they farmed, a lot of times the seed would just be kind of spread everywhere. Then they would come afterwards and do the plowing. Again, it's not like that at John Deere or something. They, they have like a little rake type of of thing and then really just a heavy dull stick where they would push the seeds into the ground and so as it was thrown around then they'd work around the rocks and they'd, they'd get what they could but a lot of the seed ended up being wasted and so the word is sown as that seed was indiscriminately it's it's offered it is put out there so you have Jesus the sower sowing the seed The, the point of this first part of the parable isn't about the soils yet. We'll look at the response of people to the seed that is sown, but, but right now the word is about the sower, and it's about the message that he is putting forward. Jesus has come and he is offering the kingdom. That's the point of this early message, and he is offering it indiscriminately. And while it may look at first glance that, that, man, there's so many people rejecting it, there's so many people not understanding it, there's no many people that don't want it, you will see at the end it is going to be an abundantly fruitful kingdom. You see that in verse 8. 
And other seeds fell into the good soil and produced grain growing up and increasing and yielding 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold, overflowing and bountiful. And so Mark is, is pointing us to, at the beginning of this story, as Jesus tells this parable, he is painting a picture of himself in his own ministry. Back to chapter 1 when he said that he has come to proclaim the kingdom of God, the gospel, and repentance. This is a picture of what he is doing as the sower. And he is spreading the seed, he is scattering the word, the message of the kingdom, and he is doing so indiscriminately. And so you get to verse 9. He says, He who has ears to hear... Let him hear. As I come offering the kingdom, the one who has ears to hear, let him hear. There's an interesting little nuance in the Greek. We don't often look at the Greek too much, but the word for hear. And then you can take just a little prefix and add it to the beginning of that word. And it almost has the idea of hyper hearing or ultra hearing, something like that. In the Greek, it's very close to the idea of obedience. So this hyper-hearing, not just I'm making sense of words you're saying, but I'm hearing with a, a heart of obedience. I'm getting it. I'm hearing it. I'm obeying what you're saying. He says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. So the first part of the parable is about the sower. It's about Jesus, and it's about what he has come to do. Remember, we said Mark's asking three questions. Who is Jesus? What has he come to do? And what does it mean to follow him? Where he is, Jesus has come and he is offering the kingdom. That is what he has come to do. And those who have ears to hear should hear. And so you get to verse 10. It says, And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you it has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see but not perceive, and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. All right, what's he saying here? It sounds like we know what he's saying, but that doesn't sound quite right. What what is he saying? Well, we've already talked about parables. (laughs) He speaks in a way that those who hear... That those who are in the inside would receive it and be instructed and grow by it. But those who are outside, those who don't have ears to hear, will just be that more enraged, inflamed, confused, whatever it might be. But he says, to you, to the disciples, has been given the secret of the kingdom. Secret is the word mysterion, that idea. It's, it's a mystery, something that the Lord must reveal What is the secret of the kingdom? Well, if we step back, we've talked about the kingdom some already, but if you were to step back and take an overarching, all-Bible type of look at the kingdom, you really could start in chapters 1 and 2 of Genesis. And there you have the garden. And the Lord establishes this garden with His subjects. And He rules justly and they obey perfectly and they work and it is fulfilling and they have relationships and they are good and their relationship with God is unfettered and the Lord provides and there is joy. Then of course we know the fall 
And now scripture is how do we get back to that garden? How do we get back to that sort of relationship with our God and for things to work as they ought to work, as God created them to be? And you see little hints of it as you go through scripture and you see foreshadowing in the, the promised land, for instance. You see it now as we've talked about in the church, sort of an outpost of the kingdom to come, the, the, the age to come, breaking into this age that is passing away. But then you go all the way to the end, look at that last couple chapters of Revelation, and there you see a city, and in that city is a garden. God is ruling perfectly, and your labors are fruitful, and your relationships are restored, and there is no suffering, and there is no sorrow, and there is no death, and God provides, and there is worship, and there is perfect fellowship with God. And there you have your kingdom and you have in the garden, you have in Revelation this this aspect, this idea of the kingdom. And in Jesus Christ, He is coming. And He is the one who is making right. And He is the one who is restoring fellowship. And He is the one who is drawing people back in. And so the mystery of the kingdom of God is just this. Is that the kingdom has come in Jesus. The kingdom has come in Jesus. We see that when Jesus speaks to his disciples. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom is at hand. Why? Because I'm here. He declares a message of the kingdom of the age to come. Breaking into this age. And so he says to the disciples, For you the secret of the kingdom has been revealed. That is that you realize that the kingdom is coming in me. The kingdom has arrived in me. For others who reject Jesus Christ, they are rejecting the kingdom. They want it to show up in some political or some military or some powerful way different than how Jesus is offering it. So to those inside, he says, I have revealed this to you. The secret of the kingdom. That it has come in me. I think if we think through it then, What is Jesus saying exactly? Why is he hiding truth from some and not from others? Well, the parables reveal that to us. It helps us. If you can think of the parable, maybe like a stained glass window over here. If you were to walk around the uh, little circle here, you got on the other side of the courtyard, and you look through that window back at the stained glass this way, from the other side, it's real dull, It's cluttered. You can't tell what's going on. There's no color. There's no arrangement to it. It's just kind of a dull, blurry, messy-looking window. However, you come into this side, the light's shining through, and it, oh, it makes sense. I see it from this side. It's pretty. It's colorful. I see the nuance. And in the parables, Jesus is saying, In order to understand these parables, in order to understand the kingdom, you can't just be an outsider trying to peer in. You can't just look from afar and be interested. You need to come to me. You need to be with Jesus. You need to come inside. And that's why the religious leaders, the crowds, that's why he keeps turning them away. 
It's because they're interested. They just want to peer into, but they don't want to get into it. They don't really want to come and be with Christ and follow Christ. They just sort of want to look into it. And like that stained glass window, the parables mask that. For those who aren't by faith coming, they just kind of want to look in. He said, no, you get no clarity. You get no vision. There is nothing good about just trying to peer in from the outside. Either you come inside, you own it, or you're on the outside. And the parables continue to draw that wedge so that those who are inside see this is what it means to be with Christ. This is what it means to follow Christ. So giving us that reason then, let's look at verses 13 through 20 before we move to the table. the beginning, the point really is about the sower. It's about the seed, the word that he is sowing. It's interesting as you look at 13 through 20, the the seed really changes and it becomes not the word that's sown, but it becomes the hearer. It becomes the, the faith of the hearer is represented by the seed. So as the seed is Scattered, we learn one more thing about the kingdom. And that is that in the offer of the kingdom, Jesus is, is here, the kingdom is here, he is offering it, but we still are awaiting the day of harvest. There is still a day of the Lord, a day of reckoning coming, a day of harvest. And so we receive the kingdom now, and yet we await its consummation. We look forward to it. And so what happens now in this time of the, the message, the gospel of the kingdom going forth, but awaiting its final harvest? And this is the picture that he paints. And this is where we need to put ourselves in the shoes of each of these scenarios. and Think, how are we receiving the word of God? So first, the seed falls on the pathway. It says birds come and eat it. The pathway, everyone's been walking, it's just beaten down hard like cement almost. The seed falls in there. Maybe it, you know, starts to spring something for a moment, but it's basically just fallen on a hard path. You can understand who that is. That's the hard-hearted those who come and they, you just have no time for the things of the Lord. Your heart is turned against the things of the Lord and, and you are in no way receptive to what he has to say. You're almost combative to it. So he says, some of the seed falls there. And that seed just gets plucked up. The birds come by, they eat it. Satan comes and he steals it. Secondly, of the seed that falls on stony ground. These are some who, they, they immediately sort of receive the word with gladness, but they have no root. They have no roots that sink down to endure when they face the smallest amount of trial, the smallest amount of hurt feelings. You know, I do think the church has a lot of people that come into its doors like this. It's the one who is driven much by emotions in their Christian life and they have a great experience one Sunday or something goes well and they have these sort of revival type of moments in their lives. 
but, but they never go deep into the things of the Lord. They never, uh, they never persevere through trials where God does his teaching and, and builds the patience and endurance in someone's heart. And so as soon as something difficult comes, man, they're, they're knocked over, they're blown away, they're uprooted. We need to be folks who, yes, can be excited by the word of the Lord, but understand as we talk about just the marathon, the plotting of the Christian life, of being faithful in the small things, of, of exposing ourselves to the means of grace, of being in the word, and watching those roots slowly go down deep so that when trials and hard things come, you're not quickly uprooted. Third Seed falls on thorny ground. Seed falls on thorny ground. I think here is one where people hear it. They're moved by the things of the Lord. They grow some roots down there. But in the end, there's just too many other competing idols in their life. It's too cluttered in their heart with other things that just always seem to trump Jesus when it comes to what is really important. What do you really treasure? What are you willing to sacrifice? Who is going to set the priority in the way you live your life, the way you organize your relationships, in the way you spend your time? And the Lord can be important and you get excited about the things of the Lord, but it just gets choked out because the busier it gets, other things become more important. I love the Lord, but I really want financial security. I really want uh, this friend group. I really want to date this person. I really want to, and it, other things take precedent over the Lordship of Christ. That's the thorny ground of, it goes in, it takes root. But Jesus never really becomes Lord. He's just mixed in. <clears throat> Finally, the good soil. Again, by good soil, you know, not the one who is righteous already, but the sinner who comes with empty hands, receives the free grace of God. You look at verse 20, it says, but those that were sown on good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. Those who come and by faith lay hold of the truth, who hear God's call and respond, who hear that word come and they lay hold of that word and they accept it, not just in knowledge, but they accept it as yes, this is true and yes, I'm going to put my hope upon it. <clears throat> and as a result of that faith, they will bear fruit in their lives. Again, sometimes I think we get a little uneasy in the church of making a hard division of insiders and outsiders. Those who belong to God and those don't. We feel that way, I think, because it, it feels like we're somehow putting ourselves up, that we're inherently better than people who aren't in here right now. Scripture obviously never speaks about it that way. In fact, we've already seen in Mark that Jesus came to save sinners. So if you're righteous already, you don't need a savior. And yet it makes a clear distinction 
between those who belong to Christ, those who hear his call and respond, those who follow after him, those who bear fruit, those who Jesus Christ becomes the the center and the sole piece of their discipleship, and those who do not. And there's not a middling ground. So as the word goes forward, just know, as the word goes forward, we see it in this parable. It's always spiritual warfare. Satan would love to steal that seed. Satan would love to take that. The the pleasures of this world are always going to compete. And as you receive the word, you've got to take it seriously. You need to understand that it is warfare. But for where that good soil is, the fruit is abundant and beautiful. The grace of God is abundant and beautiful in it. Let's have a word of prayer before we move to the table. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for its work in our life, Lord. We thank you for Jesus Christ, the sower. Lord, the truth of his kingdom. Lord, I pray that indeed you would give us ears to hear. Lord, help us not to be lazy in our hearing. Help us not to be distracted. Lord, we need it again and again. Lord, for the thorny ground, the stony ground, the hard path, all of that hearing was done in the past. They've moved on, but for the good soil, Lord, they hear the word again and again and again. And that's what we need, Lord, is is your means of grace in our lives, to be confronted with Christ, to be in the word, to, to be prayerful, to come to the table and have that happen again and again and again. And by it, you will produce fruit. So, Lord, we pray, help us, your people. You can remain seated, but if you would...